Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Fußball. My name is Marie Schulte-Bockham. I am not Matt Herman, as you're probably now, you know, checking the podcast you're listening to. <laughs> But this is Talking Fußball. Matt has asked me to substitute in off the bench for him this weekend. And although I am a bit of a bench player, our guest is very much not. We have kind of the Ballon d'Or of English language commentators with us. Derek Ray, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh my goodness, Marie. What, what an introduction. <laughs> I've never been described as the Baron d'Or, anything in my life before, but I'll, I'll take it. And it's great to be on with you. If you're not familiar with Derek's work, you can follow him on Twitter and on Instagram where he has joined recently. He's, he's very fun to follow on both. Although, as you might hear from his accent, he is Scottish. He's a long-lived lover of the German game, of the German Bundesliga. He's famous for his excellent pronunciations of different players' names, whether they are from the Balkans or from Germany, from the Schwabenland <laughs> or from anywhere else. And yeah, he's a big fan of the league. He commentates games in English for ESPN in, in the US. And he also sometimes commentates La Liga, the Spanish league. So once again, we're so glad that you're with us today to analyze match day 24 of the Bundesliga. Thoroughly looking forward to it. We are starting with best of match day 24 and always a little bit of a choice to make here, which order we do <laughs> the games in. But yes. I think on a day where we have the Revilla Derby, Germany's perhaps most beloved local derby, it's a clear choice for me, especially because this wasn't a nil-nil as some might have feared given the two defenses of this team. This was a two-all draw, which you know, had everything, the fans from both sides, great goals, great individual storylines and a packed stadium, of course, and a surprise result. What would you say, Derek? You worked this game, didn't you? Yes, we had it live on ESPN Plus and it's always a treat. I mean, the one thing about the Revia Derby is that you genuinely don't know what's going to happen. And I think you do have to, it sounds like a cliche, it is a cliche, you sort of throw the form book out the window and you recognize that it has its own dynamic. And, you know, goodness knows, I was lucky enough to be in Dortmund commentating for the World Feed on that day in November 2017 when it was 4-0 to Dortmund at half time, and Schalke produced the comeback of all comebacks <laughs> and it finished 4-4. And that's just one example. I mean, that will go down as the greatest Revia Derby of all time, I think. Certainly at the moment, we can say that. But this one had pretty interesting vibes as well. Now, maybe not so much if you're a Dortmund fan listening to this, because Dortmund really should have won the game when you consider the flow of it, when you consider the technical levels of the two teams. But again, technical level isn't the whole story in the Revia Derby. And I remember at one point in commentary, I, I said Schalke just missing that final punch. You know, the, their effort was good. They were being outplayed, but they had their moments in attack. And Dortmund are going to be kicking themselves here, Marie, because really when you think about the flow of events, they were in control of the game and the goals that they conceded were silly goals from their angle. Credit to Schalke for being able to execute. But, you know, if you think back to the sequence of events, you know, that Schlotterbeck goal for 1-0, terrific strike. Schlotterbeck had one or two dodgy moments in the game. Overall, wasn't terrible. I don't think he was the weakest player for Dortmund out there. But for Schalke to come back the way they did, and it was Marius Bülter who scored the goal. I'm a big fan of Bülter. I think he fits Schalke really well. I think the fans ah. respond to him. And that left-hand side was, if you like, the, I'm going to use a German term here, the Schokolade Seite, the, the chocolate side, the, <laughs> the productive side for Schalke. It has been most of the way. And they also have on that left-hand side in Matriziani, Uh, a, a player who is Schalke to the core. You look at him and you see how he plays and he plays with passion. You know, he has that malucha mentality, that, that drive to, to be the hard worker. And the Schalke fans respond to that. So for them to come back, but for them then to fall behind, disappointing psychologically, great goal by Guerrero, who I thought was terrific. I, th I think over the piece, my man of the match, I think the man of the match of most people playing as a playmaker just sort of to the left of center, often in the center, 
and we know he can play there and perform there. So for Dortmund to take the lead, but then again to lose another bad goal, you know, and I think you have to say it was a bad goal, you know, again, Karaman choosing that moment, that Revere Derby moment to score his very first goal in the Bundesliga for Schalke. So twice they came back. Credit to Schalke. I said my final line in commentary was when the final whistle went, I said, it's a 2-2 draw, but for Schalke fans, this feels a bit like a win. And I think it did. You can back me up on that, uh, (laughs) Maddie. You you can tell me what you thought about that. Um, But, um, you know, really a huge moment in the title race as well. I think we have to, you know, not overlook that because... Dortmund were winning every game and all of a sudden they've lost, uh, they've drawn, they haven't lost, but again, they, it feels as though they've lost, they've lost points anyway. And it's happened against, yeah, Schalke as usual. Yeah, no, thank you. Basically already preempted a lot of my questions, including about Henning Matriciani and Nico Schlotterbeck, who I also saw as kind of key figures in this game and yeah, no, it's it's a big game always, and particularly at the end of this week for Dortmund, Edin Terzic said not so long ago, it feels very long ago now, but he said it must be about six or seven days ago that this was going to be a very fateful week for Dortmund, a decision-making week for Dortmund, which, you know, a decisive week to show where they're heading. Of course, they headed to London for the game against Chelsea midweek, which they lost, and now they're out of that competition and then they had a two games in Kirchen for the derby, which, as you said, felt like a loss to them. Although, of course, they did win a point, which might come in very handy moving forward. But is this a bit of a crash or awakening after the incredible run of form that they've had in 2023 so far? Should we be concerned? Well, I think in football, as in life, things even themselves out and you get the breaks at times. You know, maybe when you think about the run of matches, you know, they played very well. Dortmund had played extremely well, but luck was on their side in some of those games. You know, I was in the stadium for the Augsburg game, which is an absolute thriller, but they could easily have ended up not winning that game. Gio Reyna, of course, came off the bench and scored the winner and did so against Mainz as well. So they were sort of inspired by the fact that they were doing it. And I think we have to talk about Julian Brandt because... He has been the catalyst for Dortmund these last few weeks. I can't remember since his Leverkusen days, Brandt playing as well as this, having a a patch of form as good as this. Maybe even at Leverkusen, it wasn't quite up to this level, but he certainly seemed to have better patches when he was at Leverkusen. And he's been criticized for not being a complete player, you know, for being somebody who can turn on the attacking fireworks, but who is suspect defensively. And he's worked on that. And, you know, he's spoken about that and Edin Terzic has spoken about it. In fact, Terzic actually said not so long ago that he listened to a podcast interview that mm-hmm. Julian Brandt gave in which he spoke about the fact that he has defensive deficiencies. And Terzic sort of took that on board and said, well, we're going to make sure that you don't have as many defensive deficiencies. But to lose him so early in that game against Chelsea in the Champions League, I think told you the story. And I think... You know, it's one thing you're without Brandt, but you're also without Karim Adeyemi, who had had a poor beginning to his Dortmund career, but was really starting to crank things up. So you're without him as well. You're without Marco Reus, the captain, on a big occasion. And with the best will in the world, you can bring in replacements, you can have a good squad, but you're not quite going to hit those highs when you don't have Brandt, you don't have Adeyemi, you don't have Reus. And I think we saw... Towards the end of the game, when the substitutes came on for Dortmund, they weren't quite there. You know, mm-hmm. we saw Dahoud come on. Dahoud was going to be leaving at the end of the season. I'm a big admirer of Dahoud, but wasn't a, a game changer. Reina wasn't a game changer in this case when he came on for Daniel Malen. Anthony Modest wasn't a game changer when he came on for Alea. And that's normal because you can only go to that well so many times when you have players out and I do think it's really important for Dortmund to be at full strength in the weeks ahead and especially looking forward to the big clash with Bayern on the 1st of April. Yeah, aren't we all? That will be incredible. Hosted here in Munich where I live and out of my window I can see the Allianz Arena when it's lit up, which is quite rare these days because there's conserving energy. (laughs) Yes, I've seen seen your wonderful pictures on social media (laughs) and I didn't realize you were that close to Frutmanning where they, the stadium is. but Yeah, as you know, if you've been to Munich, Derek has many times. That means I'm quite far from the center. 
<laughs> yeah. So, you're, to, you're to the north, yeah. Exactly. You did just mention that Royce, Brandt and Adeyemi, three attacking players, very creative players who often show up on the score sheet, were missing in this game. And that Dahoud and Modest came on as substitute off the bench. And then Reina came on in the 80th minute. Now, Dortmund started with arguably five attacking players, Bellingham, Guerrero, if we call Bellingham, you know, he's kind of a box-to-box, -box, mm. uh, yeah. Malin, Bino Gittens, and Alea. So that's five plus the three injured, we're at eight. Then we're at Dahoud and Modest, 10. For our American listeners, is Gio Reyna currently 11th choice in Dortmund's attack? I'm glad you've brought up Gio Reyna because I've been asked about him a lot on social media, obviously as ESPN's lead commentator for the Bundesliga. It's quite important to many people in the audience. And I think Gio Reyna has fallen down the pecking order a bit. I think his performances have not quite been there for the most part. When he was a substitute, he delivered, as we said, but there's a difference between doing it off the bench and doing it from the start. And he got his chance against Werder Bremen. And quite honestly, he was really poor that day. And mm -hmm. I think Edin Terzic probably saw in that performance a player who's not quite ready to be somebody he counts on from the start. That's not to say he can't have a role to play. And he did, out of necessity, really, in the Chelsea game at Stamford Bridge. And he did towards the end against Schalke. But he's not going to be the sort of player who you bring on when Dortmund are protecting a lead, which has been the story for them for most of 2023 so far. They've been holding the advantage going into the last 20, 25 minutes. So Reyna's not the player that you generally want under those circumstances. They brought him on at the weekend when Schalke had come back to make it 2-2. It was right at that moment that they made the change when they're trying to go on and win the game. So I don't think they need to be concerned. I think, if I can say this diplomatically, I think amongst a section of fans in the United States, there are unrealistic expectations as sure. to what happens at a big club. And let's make no mistake, Dortmund are one of the biggest football clubs in the world. So they don't exist to be a vehicle for national team players of any description. You know, their job is not to nurture the next wave of the U.S. men's national team. Their job is to, Edin Terzic's job and Sebastian Kehl's job as sporting director, their job is to get the best players for Dortmund who fit at that particular time, and in the case of Terzic, with regard to any particular game. And Reyna just hasn't been the fit recently. I yeah. don't think this has anything to do with what happened at the World Cup. I honestly don't. I think they've been conscious all season long that they have a player who suffered last season on the injury front, and they've been cautious with him. They've been consistently cautious with him. And to be honest, there are other players in the squad who right now are performing better. You know, that is the fact of the matter. And I don't think that needs to be sugarcoated. I think US fans, you know, know their football and they know what they're watching as well. And, you know, that is what happens. And I really, if I can maybe just go slightly off topic, I get a bit annoyed when I hear people say, oh, well, that means he should go and look for another club. I say exactly the opposite. What I would say to that is, no, that means he fights for his place. That's yeah. what you do in the football world. And when you're 20 years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. You, you, you shouldn't expect to be given anything. You know, Reyna, just like Bino Gittens, just like any of the other players, he's not there with a guaranteed mandate from on high, you will start every game. He's there to fight for his place and to show in training every day at Bracker that he is there on merit. And if he hasn't been doing that, you know, I think people ought to give Edin Terzic the benefit of the doubt on that. He's the judge. He and his coaching staff are watching these players every day. And if they think that Reyna is not at the moment the person to be starting matches, I'm not sure that we're in a position to radically disagree with that. Definitely. Thank you for putting that in context. I just looked up his statistics because, I mean, statistics are always, um, you know, a two-sided yeah. coin. But despite criticism, I mean, it, it just goes to show how much we can expect from this player. And he is very young. He has been injured a lot already, but... This year, he's had 23 professional appearances for Dortmund. Of those, 15 were in the Bundesliga, six were in the Champions League, and two in the German Cup. And in those 23 appearances, many of which were short and off the bench, he scored five goals, has two assists, and all of that comes across 911 minutes. 
So, you know, seven scorer points, as we call them, in 900 minutes. It's not terrible uh, no. for a young player. No, and, and it's a really good point. Um, I, I think another point that we do have to raise is that coaches are judging things not just on things like scorer points, but also on how you fare without the ball, against the ball, mm-hmm. in German. And I think there is still, I'll use another German expression here, Luft nach oben, room for improvement when it comes yeah. to that side of Reiner's game. And I imagine that is what they're looking at. I thought it was very telling the other night. And you'll know a lot of the names that I'm, I'm going to mention here. Matthias Dersch, who writes you know, very well for Kicker on Dortmund. That's his full-time mm-hmm. job. Patrick Berger, another very good reporter from Sport 1, you know, who specializes in Borussia Dortmund, does the podcast in German about Dortmund every week. They both watch the Chelsea game. And one of their tasks is to come up with marks using the German marking system, which, which you know um, better than most, um, Marie, and to explain to people who don't know it, it's one to six. And one is absolutely out of this world, which you almost never get. And six is so bad, you would almost never get a six. So if you get a three, you're doing actually pretty well. 3.5 is about average, but you'll be below that is, is not so good. Now, Reina got a five from most of the markers in Germany. And I pointed this out on Twitter and I got some pushback from a lot of American fans who said, oh no, he was their best player. I'm thinking, <laughs> well, again, you know, and then we got into this discussion about, um, are they using metrics? And I said, you know, the old fashioned way of judging a player wasn't always just, it was never to use metrics because we didn't have metrics. So there's such a thing as using the eye test and coaches use the eye test as well. They're not just looking at a sheet and saying, yeah, he ran X number of kilometers and he had this number of dribbles. Yeah, that's important. But you've also got to look at what your eyes tell you, you know, and make the judgment based on that. And if these reporters who are very good and very knowledgeable and they know what they're looking for with Dortmund every week, if they are saying that um, that was a five, I think that deserves to be taken seriously. And instead of people just rubbishing it, yeah. Maybe the question should be, okay, what did they see that I didn't see that made them think that he only merited a five? Yeah, I mean, a five is basically a D or even an E yeah. in the American or British scale. So, yes. But and a very different type of player. Do you think in terms of the renaissance of Dortmund in results and their style of play, you know, it's more workmanlike, often tight wins this year. If we're looking at all of 2023, can you talk a little bit for our listeners about the impact that Julian Riasson and Marius mm-hmm. Wolf have had? Yeah, I think Riasson and Wolf are archetypal workers. You know, they are players who will really get stuck in, both have tigerish qualities. Again, it fits with what Dortmund are trying to do. They're trying to be more resilient. Schlotterbeck is part of that as well. And, you know, the way he goes in for challenges, the way he celebrates his challenges, you know, you mm-hmm. can see that with Rierson. Uh, maybe not quite as demonstrative on the pitch, but he does have those determined qualities. And yeah, they are also, I use that word with, with Schalke, the, the word that Schalke fans like to hear, malocha. They have, they have the, the malocha qualities, the qualities of somebody who will never give up, will, will put absolutely everything into their performances. And I think there is a contrast to be raised there. When you think about you know, how Dortmund wanted to start the season with Meunier on the right, with Guerrero on the left, they're very different types you know, as fullbacks go. And so there has been this change. And I think, you know, Rioson was not at his best in the derby. It was one of his poorest games, I think. Certainly, you know, again, using the eye te- my eye test, I didn't think he was all that brilliant. He made a lot of mistakes on the left-hand side. But he's been a plus and he's versatile as well, which I think is really important. So they now have a player who, you know, can play at right back, can play at left back. It gives them some flexibility. And Vorf gives them flexibility as well because he's really not a right back per se, he can play more than adequately at right back, but he's somebody who's probably better equipped to being a right-sided midfield player. But you do need that sort of versatility in a squad. And we saw something again, you know, with Guerrero at the weekend playing as as a playmaker. And he's done that before in his career, but not so much recently with Borussia Dortmund. And so that gives food for thought as well. But I, I think it was something we spoke about at the start of the season, this more determined Dortmund, you know, they were they were winning 1-0 so many times the first few weeks of the season. Sort of got away from that, you know, think back to the, the Augsburg match, that Sunday game that I referenced earlier on, and some of the other performances. And 
you know, they're not going to be happy with 2-2 because they'll feel they should have beaten Schalke based on the quality they have in the squad. But yeah, I think Rioson and Wolf are going to be important from here on in. Now, to close the Derby discussion uh, with a heavy heart, because <laughs> yeah. I love talking about this game, but I do have a closing question about Schalke. We're now in mid-March and we have a few very heated weeks left to close the season with huge battles at the bottom and top of the table. Both of these teams are in two different ones of those battles. And with Schalke, you know, second to last in a very tight relegation battle, some of these players have got to be asking themselves, do we go down? Do we go up? Of course, there's a big momentum there right now. Schalke has yet to lose a game in the Rückrunde in the second half of the season just as Dortmund, both of those teams are unbeaten in the Rückrunde. But individually, you know, Schalke signed seven or eight players in the winter break, and some of those have done very well, including Jens at centre-back. But I got to ask you individually from these players, if, it's a big if, but if Schalke goes down, either directly or at 16th and loses the relegation game, are there any players in the squad that stick out to you as being able to outlive Schalke in the Bundesliga and staying in the Bundesliga, players that you see as having that type of caliber where they could play for a different team in Germany's first division? Oh, that's an interesting question. You mentioned Moritz Jens and Celtic fans who I speak to, being a Scot, had said, yeah, he's he's a good player. Just, you know, there were certain things that went against him latterly at Celtic, but he has been an enrichment. And I think we've seen that you know, he's, a, he's an aggressive centre-half with some old-fashioned qualities, but teams up really well with Maya Yoshida. And he's somebody you could imagine fitting quite nicely with another Bundesliga club. I think, you know, there's no doubt about that. Bülter is somebody, I, as I mentioned before, I'm a fan of. And, you know, he's played in the Bundesliga before for Union. So I, I think, again, he's somebody who, who quite easily would switch to a different club. And there are others in the, the squad as well. I think if I can say on Schalke, Marie, I do think that the big worry for me is that if you look at the fixture list, and I was doing this just before the Javier Derby at the weekend, the last three matches of the season, listen to this, Bayern away, Eintracht Frankfurt at home, Leipzig away. The last three games of the season. And okay, you never know at the end of the campaign sort of what other clubs are doing and whether they've hit their targets and are resting players. And so you do get some strange results granted near the end of the season. But that would suggest to anybody who's looking at it rationally that they do need to get points on the board prior to those last three games. And I think it is going to be a really tight squeeze. I think it's going to be, from a neutral point of view, one of the best relegation scraps we've ever seen in the Bundesliga. And I think there's no doubt about it. Schalke are much better under Thomas Reis. What he's done is... Simple but very effective. It's quite direct. It's winning aerial duels, following a direct ball a lot of the time, winning a second ball, and using players like Bülter uh, and Frey, who's a hard worker, to good effect. But yeah, the, every game is really important for Schalke right now because of how they're going to be ending the season in terms of those games. Definitely. Thank you for that assessment. And you did mention in your fixture prognosis there, some of the teams that we're also going to talk about today, including that Schalke has a game away to Bayern Munich. And that, you know, moves us along to another game this weekend, Bayern Munich against Augsburg. Often a bit of a Wundertüter, you know, a bit of a surprise, mm, yeah. surprise game. Those two teams often kind of rally to bring something onto the pitch that no one expects. And this weekend, that meant eight goals, including an early lead for Augsburg. What is your take on this game this weekend? Strange game. Bayern didn't begin it very well, you have to say. It was almost as though they were still sort of living off the euphoria of midweek and, you know, were in celebratory mode. I know they weren't, but it, it almost gave you that impression. And Augsburg took full advantage through Berisha, who I think is a very good striker, very able striker, one of the best in the Bundesliga. So he's turned out to be a real find by Augsburg and maybe more on him a bit later on. But Bayern did take control and it was the Pavard show, Benjamin Pavard, with a couple of goals, stylish goals as well, if you look back. And, you know, of course, he is really a bit of a changed character because 
Going back to the Winterpause, the, the break, at that time, I think most of us reckon that he didn't have a future with Bayern, that the mood music mm-hmm. was such that he was probably going to be leaving. But what a big change. And you can see the change with regard to how Nagelsmann feels about him, that he can certainly trust him. And, you know, he's an important member of that Bayern squad. And, you know, he obviously had missed the, uh, the Champions League game through suspension. So Pavar, really impressive. And again, it was an attacking show. Important, I think, to get Cancelo back in the fold after what had happened. Again, Nagelsmann was spot on in his use of Stanisic, making sure that he was the player for the occasion, uh, both in the run-up to the second leg of the Champions League game against PSG and in the game itself. And, you know, over the piece, we were watching, I was certainly watching Zani closely after what's happened with him and the newspaper reports about bad timekeeping and, you know, not being a guaranteed starter. But he was very good in this game. I thought first rate. Still some doubts about Gnabry, who was a little bit off. Little bit, you know. Again, it's all small degrees. But Bayern did float. And they put together a, a performance that was easy on the eye for the most part. They'll be annoyed that they conceded three goals. I mean, that goes with the territory because, uh, you know, you, you could end up losing points when you concede three. But if you score five and they do have the attacking wherewithal to score five and Sadio Mane playing through the middle, which, you know, is good news for Bayern fans that he's managed to work his way back. Davies was very good on the left-hand side. So, you know, by and large, it was a, a you know, a very entertaining game. I, I think if you'd gone to that game as a neutral, you'd have been suitably entertained as a Bayern fan, likewise. And, you know, enough in it for Augsburg to make them think that, yeah, uh, they're going to be okay. I think they are. There's a big enough gap between them and the strugglers at the moment. Definitely. Bayern did concede three goals at home, mm. and I did you know, read some memes, <laughs> if you can say yeah. read, <laughs> saw some memes on social media about PSG shakes kind of rubbing their eyes at this result, given that Paris with two of the best players in the world, Kylian Mbappé and Messi and also, of course, Neymar in the first leg did not manage to score in 180 minutes against mm. Bayern. Was this a fluke or something we should look at? I think these things just sometimes happen. And I think there can be a little bit of a hangover, to use that expression, after a big emotional night, such was the case in the Champions League. You were there, you know, having experienced that. So I wouldn't read too much into it. I, I think, again, it, it's it's something to be worked on on the Zebener Straße, the training ground. But we are seeing, you know, Julian Nagelsmann, I think more and more, take control. I'm not going to say he wasn't in control before. I, I, I think he's a terrific coach. I think he has put his own stamp on the team. And, you know, a lot has been written about Nagelsmann in the last few months, and he probably doesn't like all of it. But I think that it feels like much more his team now, you know, and I think, you know, when you have this choice every week of, of trying to, you know, keep people happy, it's impossible to do that. Because you have yeah. so many top, especially in those attacking positions. I don't know if you agree. I, I just think that that is his biggest challenge at the moment is how to keep Zane, Gnabry, Musiala, not so much because he you know, is, a, is a guaranteed starter at the best of times. Thomas Müller, another one, you know, who mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think has to accept at this point that he's going to be in and out of the side and probably doesn't sit all that well with him. But it does come to everybody. So, so that to me is the biggest thing that he has to address at the moment is is this uh, Qual der Wahl. That's another mm-hmm. German expression uh, that, uh, that I think is fitting here, the, the torment of the choice. Yeah, definitely. And you did mention Mergin Berisha, a former yeah. under-21 German international who also won a title with the German under-21 team. He came from the Turkish League early in the season. And what a season he's had in Germany. Um, he was kind of off a lot of fans' radars until he arrived at Augsburg. But he has scored eight goals and mm. um, set up a further four goals in 18 matches. And of those eight goals, an incredible six were the one nil for his team, including this weekend against Bayern. Is he someone that we should look at for the German national team? He's 24 years old. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about that. And I would say, why not? I think it's a position where... Germany are weak at the moment. And of course, the solution at the World Cup was to bring in Niklas Füllkrug, who's having this fabulous season for Werder Bremen. But Berisha probably should be in the conversation as well, because he is a really good all-round striker, a finisher. 
and Hansi Flick needs players like that. So I think it would not be the, the silliest decision to bring a player like that in for the two games coming up against Peru in Mainz and against Belgium in Kern. Uh, the international break very soon and Hansi Flick in just a few days' time will name the squad. So, yeah, he certainly didn't do his prospects any harm. And one thing on Augsburg is that they took a bit of a gamble. They did the opposite of what they did last year in the January transfer window. And you remember last year, it was all about yeah. Ricardo Pepe and, you know, 16 million euro and sort of betting the house on him. And, and it was a bad bet. This January, they already had Berisha, but they decided to, to bring in eight players altogether, you know, from different parts of Europe in most cases. And they have done pretty well with those signings. I have to give them credit. So instead of, you know, one star player or, or bright prospect. They've just tried to cover ground with a player here, player there for the different positions. And in Anna Engels, they have a real rising star uh, who they got from Club Brugge and, uh, in Belgium. And, you know, he's become a, a fixture in the centre of midfield very quickly. Somebody who you can't leave out of the team. Very young, but plays with a maturity, you know, beyond his years. We saw Bellio, who's another one, start at the weekend. You know, tall, striker, uh, Tried to use him as a compliment to Berisha. Didn't really work. He was was not at his best in this game. But so some credit really is what I'm saying to Augsburg, to Stefan Reuter and his team for being able to add in the positions where that was necessary. Because I had my doubts about them during the winter mm -hmm. break. I thought maybe this is the season. I, I say that every season. Maybe <laughs> this is the season for Augsburg to go down. No offense, Augsburg fans, please. But one of these seasons, they will go down. But I, I don't think it's going to be this season. Yeah, agreed. I've been lucky to be a field reporter at a few Augsburg yeah. games this year. And Enrico Maaßen does a very good job coaching this team. I still think, as you hinted at a little bit, that in parts of the squad, you know, they're very much playing at the top of their potential. It's not one of the stronger squads in the Bundesliga, but they're incredible at home. They have an incredible series of form in their home games where they get a lot of points. They have a really decent attack. They also have Demirovic, who I think is a great supporting striker, very team-oriented player, and combined very well with Bellio last weekend against Werder Bremen. One of those players who perhaps doesn't fall into statistical highlights, <laughs> yeah. but um, is a great connector between midfield and attack. And uh, Bellio, yeah, I spoke with him after last weekend because he scored against Bremen. And he's so young and he's yeah. so tall, as you said. It's like sometimes you have to be in the stadium to see these things. And it's great for him that he scored and, and he, I think, will need more time to settle in. But he has some of the prerequisites that you need to be a striker in the modern game. He finished very well last weekend. And um, yeah, a great signing. Yeah, it's interesting. There were one or two people who mocked Augsburg for getting Ermadin Demirovic when they sent Michael Gregoric in the other direction to Freiburg. But he's ended up being a fit. And as you said, he's a hardworking striker. He has all the qualities that Augsburg needs. And yeah, more power to him. Now we have one more game left in the highlights of this match day. And that to me was RB Leipzig, RB Leipzig, uh, Rasenballsport Leipzig, Lohn, <laughs> yes. Lohn Sports Leipzig against Gladbach. Two heavyweights, we've got to say, of the modern Bundesliga. But this was a very one-sided result. What was your take on this particular game of Max Ebel's two loves and Marco Rose's two clubs? Yeah, this was very much about Max Ebel and about Marco Rose and Max Ebal was the live guest on the Doppelpass show, which is a German institution Sunday morning show on Sport 1 and spoke all about, you know, the decision-making process for him, which has, you know, been a bit controversial. Gladbach fans not happy about the manner of his departure and retrospect and then going to Leipzig. You know, he has said that the two are not connected. He was unwell in his words. He needed a break from football, got away for eight months, and only then did, did Leipzig come up. Others don't believe him for whatever reason. You know, that's almost a, a soap opera unto itself. But as far as the game was concerned, yeah, as you said, Leipzig utterly dominant. Gladbach just not at the races. And we've seen a few performances like this from Gladbach on their travels. Saw it against Mainz recently as well after they beaten Bayern, as they sometimes do, more than uh, occasionally do. 
But this was certainly Leipzig at their absolute best. And, you know, despite that, they did have goalkeeper Yanis Blazvich to thank for the fact that he, you know, was able to save a penalty so early in the game. And if that had gone in from Turan, maybe it would have been different. But uh, we saw Timo Werner at his best. And we haven't really seen Timo Werner at his best since he made the move back to Leipzig. We've seen fleeting performances, but this was a bit like the, the Werner of old and the defense held up for most of the game. So looking at some of the stats, 11 corners to none in the end. And that I think was quite telling. So Leipzig and Ebal spoke about this. You know, they see themselves as still in the fight, you know, even though it's what, seven points off Bayern, five off Dortmund, or they lost two. They thought they were a bit unlucky to lose two the previous week. So, um, they are looking at trying to consolidate third now. And I think there's a, there's a good chance that's where they will end up at the end of the campaign. I think Dortmund will be will finish above them. Bayern obviously are still the favourites, although that Bayern-Dortmund game is huge. But yeah, a, a lot to like from top to bottom about the Leipzig performance and special mentions for Werner and Blasby. Yeah, great. And um, Leipzig in turn really likes the Champions League. They often overperform and have tripped a few big teams and clubs in the previous years. They're currently in the round of 16 against Man City and, you know, gained a very respectable 1-1 draw in the first game at home to Pep Guardiola's team. Now, this week they're playing in Manchester. Is this game a foregone conclusion or should we see if they can once again surprise footballing Europe in this game? And what, if anything, would give you hope that that might be a possibility for Leipzig to move on? I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. We saw enough from Leipzig in the first game to suggest that they can trouble City. And, you know, this has been a, a bit of a problem competition for Manchester City in relative terms. It's almost the holy grail and they have a habit of stumbling at certain points. And yeah, the first half of the first leg, City were the better team, but second half, Leipzig were the better side. Not having Christopher Nkunku, uh, you know, that is a huge blow, Xavier Schlager as well, two really important components of this Leipzig team. So others are going to have to step up, like Werner, like Andre Silva, like Emil Forsberg, who very often steps up, you know, when people have sort of counted him out. And of course, in Dominic Soboslai, they have somebody with his arrowed long-range shots who can, in one blink of an eye, change the course of a game. So I don't think they're out of it. I think they're underdogs. It'll be difficult. But, you know, if City are just slightly off, don't be surprised if Leipzig do something, do some damage. Yeah. And as we've seen with some of those players that you just named, Leipzig is always a scoring threat. I think among the Bundesliga teams, they have the most different goal scorers this season. Guardiola yeah. became their 17th unique goal scorer, which is almost as many goals as some other teams whose names we won't mention have scored altogether this year. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that closes our best of match day 24. Moving right along to best of the rest. Thank you for staying with us throughout our little break there. I thought we could split the remaining games from this match day in a kind of fast summary into two battles. One mm -hmm. being battle for the top and a battle against the bottom, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> so to speak. And perhaps there we can start with Friday night's game, which saw Cologne host Bochum. Bit of a surprise result to me. Cologne is very good at home and had a really successful start to 2023. A bit more shaky of late, but they lost 2-0 to last of the table Bochum, at least before this match day, Bochum was bottom of the table. Now you have many friends in Cologne yes. and um, some, <laughs> shall we say, sympathies for this yes. club. Did you watch this game, Derek? I actually listened to it on the radio as I was oh, driving. Right. I had a long drive, so I listened to it all on the radio and then I watched the highlights later. So it's, it's sometimes quite good to do that because when you listen on the radio, you, you actually sometimes hear detail that you, you, you don't, you're not looking for with your own eyes. And I enjoyed the radio coverage on Friday. And can I watch the highlights back? 
it struck me this was a game that was not of the highest quality. Curran, in terms of the, the traffic flow, looked as though they were in charge for periods, but there was just no punch at all. And, you know, Bochum took their chances and credit to them for that. You know, Stuger early on in the game and then the Mazovic with the, the second goal to make absolutely certain. It was 10 corners to one, but again, sometimes we shouldn't read too much into that. You can win corners, but corners aren't necessarily going to win you games if you can't convert from corners. So disappointing for Kern. And I, I say that as a, a sympathizer of the club, you know, by way of full disclosure. And I think that there are some worrying signs at the moment. Too many players are off form. Goals are proving to be harder to come by. Davy Zelke has not really been properly integrated since he joined. And he's been a bit unlucky, was unlucky with injuries to begin with, with illness, as I recall, as well. And it's just been one thing after another there. And, you know, Kern, I always think, rely on the collective, but then individual performances, you know, from certain players like Florian Kainz, who was not at the races at all in this game, like Dejan Ljubicic, who again was was off, you know, Elias Skiri, who of course is is inspirational and, and is full of running, but but he didn't perform. Jonas Hector, of course, who might have been about as good as, as anybody out there for Kern in the game. But this was really important for Bochum, if we can give them some credit, and I think, yeah. you know, that they deserve it because they were beginning to be written off. You know, I think we were starting to hear talk that, well, they had their little purple patch. They had all those five, you know, home wins in a row that was keeping them afloat. But a club like this can't really keep it going. And they were able to do that. And this really started, I think, with dominance in the center of midfield from Capitano, as they call him, Lucia, Anthony Lucia, and uh, Osterhagen next to him, Christopher Adiaji, who I, whenever I see him, I always think this is a player. You know, this is a player he's who... He's fun, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He, he's fun <laughs> is a great word. Yeah, it's a great word because because that's what he is. He, he He's somebody who stands out. And even though he's not, you know, maybe a, a 90 minute player all the time, he can make life devilishly difficult for opponents. And so, you know, he stood out in this game, I thought. And, you know, in, in Riemann, they have a goalkeeper who can be hot or cold. He was hot this time around. And yeah, Bochum deserved the win and they've got themselves out of, well, I'm not going to say out of trouble, but they've lifted themselves up. And it's going to be fascinating, I think, isn't it? In the weeks ahead to analyze this Abstiegskampf relegation scrap. Definitely. And going from written off to shiny 14th space in the matter of a week is pretty good for Bochum. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, listen, we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen you know, what one win can do for a club. You know, I remember yeah. covering Hertha a couple of weeks ago when they got their win against Augsburg. And, and you know, that was such a, a, a again, another another word that I love that sort of um, sums up the situation when you're in trouble. Another Befreiungsschlag, you know, basically a, a moment of, doesn't so much give you freedom, but it gives you sort of relief and, and joy at the same time and, and, you know, just takes you out of trouble for that brief moment. And, you know, Stuttgart as well, their draw at the weekend. So yeah, I think this is going to be really important in, in the next few weeks. Who, who can take advantage of these opportunities in the lower reaches? And a lot of it will come down to organization and moments of inspiration rather than which team is technically the best. Because, you know, the team that's technically the best in that part of the table is Hoffenheim. But look yeah. where they are. Yeah, they are lost for our listeners. Yeah. If anyone doesn't have the yeah. table in front of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, speaking of Hoffenheim, they lost again this weekend. And as part of this pack, we're kind of the only team not to win a single point. Stuttgart won a point, Schalke won a point. You know, Bochum won their game and Hertha won a point against Mainz. Hoffenheim did not. They were un very unlucky in doing so, I have to say, because... Mm. They conceded at the very end of this game against Freiburg in Freiburg. Is there anything, I mean, the often heralded coaching effect of a new coach, I think we can now say that that's gone. Maybe, you know, in, in hope for Matarazzo, a very talented American coach, maybe there'll be a delay in this coaching effect, but they've lost four or five in a row. And the momentum points very much downward. You did mention that they have a lot of quality in their squad, but 
yeah, I mean, wh- what can we say about Hoffenheim or this game in Freiburg? Of course, for Freiburg, it's nice. They won three points in their battle at the top for Champions League qualification. They're now equal on points at 45 with Union and Leipzig between third and fifth space. So very nice for them. They have a little bit of a buffer of five points ahead of Frankfurt in sixth position. So towards, if we're looking at European qualification, they're very much in the race for Europa League. That's looking very likely. And they're looking upwards towards Champions League qualification. But anything that stuck out to you here from either Freiburg or Hoffenheim in this 2-1 lucky win for Freiburg at home? Yeah, I go along with that. It, it was a bit of a lucky win for Freiburg. Hoffenheim probably deserved a draw. It wasn't the, the greatest game. Uh, first half was was a little bit on the dull side. There was a lot of intensity, as you would imagine, but not a work of art as football <laughs> matches go. But again, it just you know comes down to to these little you know sequences and matches. And when your luck is out, your luck is out, and that's the case for for Hoffenheim. I mean, it really is concerning. Fourteen games now without a win, seven without a point. And I noticed that uh, Kika is already speculating that the Hertha game for them coming up, I and mean, what a huge game that is, is right. potentially a final for Pellegrino Matarazzo, who's a very good coach and he knows Hoffenheim well, but he has not been able to change things. You know, and, and that is what clubs look at. You know, they look at timing and the timing for him is not so great because we have an international break coming up and that's often when a club will look at a situation and go right here's the time to make the change so yeah they have the uh the rote laterne the, the red light i always think it's a very evocative description for a team at the bottom <laughs> yeah. the red light you know the red think of the red light at the uh at the back of a train you know you're, you're um yeah it's not where hoffenheim want to be at the moment but you know in this game they probably did deserve to take something that that probably over the piece you know, would have been fair, but they lost Kabak near the end of the game. And then not long after that, they surrendered a goal scored by Ritsu Doan. And yeah, it's going to be difficult for Hoffenheim because how you get out of this rut, I'm not sure. We've seen it before with, with teams who are frankly not equipped to be in a relegation scrap. Remember it happened with Wolfsburg a few years ago when they dropped into the relegation playoff. You know, that was a squad yeah. that had no business being near the lower reaches of the table. And it's the same for Hoffenheim. But, you know, are they hard-minded enough? We shall see. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned Bochum. Similar shoes maybe a week ago. They were on 19 points. And with an unexpected win in Cologne, they won three points and moved from 18th to 14th. They're now at 22 points. And Hoffenheim in that, you know, early final, if we want to call it that, or a six-point game, to use that term against a direct rival against Hertha, they could also theoretically climb from 18th to 14th. But for that to happen, Stuttgart and Schalke also have to lose their game. So they're now at that point of the season where they have to rely on the work of others, which is never a position you want to be in. Hertha did win a point in Mainz, which was very helpful to them and a surprise to me at least because Mainz has, has been very strong lately. And Stuttgart... We we mentioned already, we hinted at this, they won a point away in Frankfurt. Are we concerned about Frankfurt yet, Derek, in the Bundesliga? Concerned, I'm not sure, but I think, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been a little bit up and down for them. Obviously, they've got Champions League considerations, but that is going to be a, a difficult ask. And of course, we have the other story about tickets, which has really dominated uh, everything surrounding the club in the last few days. Mm-hmm. But I think it, that can catch up with the team. They're in the Pokal as well. So they are, you know, dancing at three weddings for now. (laughs) But I think they sort of got what they deserved in in the game at the weekend. It was not a great match. I watched most of it because I'm I'm broadcasting Frankfurt for the World Feed next weekend. I'm actually broadcasting Stuttgart as well for the World Feed next weekend. Stuttgart against Wolfsburg and uh, Frankfurt against Union. And uh, Stuttgart deserved their draw in this case. But yeah, on Frankfurt, uh, definitely some work for them to do at the moment. Yeah, and um, they could start doing that work in Napoli. You hinted at this. There was this big scandal. I mean, to quickly catch up our listeners, Napoli in consultation with the local government and the police basically disinvited (laughs) the Frankfurt fans. 
namely due to this being a high-risk game, because, of course, Napoli and Frankfurt are both known for loud, amazing, and yet sometimes rowdy away fans that travel throughout Europe. And it now it seems like after Frankfurt appealed to the UEFA, the European footballing governing body, there was a 180, as we like to say, a 180 degrees turn. And now the Frankfurt fans will be flying to Napoli, where there are just short of 3,000 spots in the stadium allotted to them. Knowing Frankfurt, they're probably going to travel with a lot more than that and try their luck. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of intrigue around that game. I saw some things about some of the Italian local rivals to Napoli buying tickets and giving them to Frankfurt. But I mean, that that's a story unto itself. But on sporting terms, Frankfurt lost 2-0 at home in the first leg of this tie. And uh, they have a huge mountain to climb. And without their arguably best player in Randall Kulumwani. Lindström is injured. Daichi Kamada has had a few shaky weeks and was actually benched this weekend in the game against Stuttgart. He came on off the bench, which... You know, we haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, apart from the fans' presence, is what are kind of the things that, you know, might lift Frankfurt to unexpected triumph in Napoli? Well, I, again, it does come down to the individuals. And mm -hmm. they were without Jesper Lundström uh, at the weekend. And he's one of the individuals, you know, who could make things happen along with Colin Wani. I think, honestly, it's a really, really big, t probably a task that's too great. You know, I, I, I think... Um, We've seen how good Napoli are this season. I think the damage was done in the first leg. And so, you know, I'm not going to write it off, but I, but I think it's a it's a, a real long shot for them. I think the main focus will be the domestic campaign the rest of the way. And mm -hmm. I think they should see themselves as a team that could win the Pokal uh, again this season. I, I think that they have that kind of team that could very easily, you know, if they were drawn against Dortmund or Bayern, beat them in a one-off game. I think that would be would be possible. Yeah. And then it comes down to whether, you know, they're in the Champions League next season. And at the moment, that's difficult. You know, they've got this ground to make up, not yeah. to say that they, they can't do it, but I think they need to show more ideas on the pitch than they did in the Stuttgart game. Yeah. And for our listeners who are perhaps frantically Googling the German Cup, we're at the quarterfinal stage there and some absolute blasters apart yes. from Nuremberg against Stuttgart, the two kind of surprise teams in this league, which is a Southwestern tie there. We kind of Schwaben Derby. Yes. <laughs> we have the six top teams in the Bundesliga playing each other. Um, yeah. And Union Berlin will be traveling to Frankfurt on April 4th and to kind of swing it back to our competition of choice in this podcast to the Bundesliga Union Berlin travel to Wolfsburg yesterday mm -hmm. uh, on Sunday night. And this was a very dull game by yes. any measure, <laughs> but one that ended in a one all tie. Both of these teams are, you know, still competing for European places. Is there anything besides the results that merits, you know, discussion here, according to you, Derek? Frederic Renault, the goalkeeper for Union, terrific, made a few really top-notch saves and, in fact, was praised after the fact by Josip Juranovic in the interview that he gave to mm. the World Feed, to the DFL World Feed. And so that was important for Union. It's been so difficult for them recently because they're not really a squad that's designed to be playing Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, but that's what yeah. they've been doing. And, you know, we saw how tired they were against Bayern when, when Bayern just picked them apart recently. And in this game, I, I thought Wolfsburg were actually a little bit better than Union, not by much, as you said, it, it was not. We were actually texting each other, talking about the podcast mm -hmm. during the game and both agreeing. And this is not the most captivating match of the weekend. It got a little bit better towards the end and, and the goals came in the last 20 minutes. Juranovic from the penalty spot. Vimmer with a very strange goal, a sort of a mishit that took a deflection and in it went. But yeah, I think on this one, for Union, the European adventure is still really important and, and they're still alive on that front. We'll see how they fare in the decisive second leg against Union Saint-Gilloise. But yeah, I still think it's going to be difficult for them to be top four. It's possible. Leipzig, I would think, have the advantage when it comes to third. But at times recently, I've just had the feeling that Union are running on fumes. 
Yeah. I mean, speaking of running on fumes, but if we want to spin that positively, there's a guy in Union's defense who carries a German passport. <laughs> mm. He played for the team that he faced this weekend. And I'm talking yep. about 30-year-old, very tall uh, boss of the defense, Robin Knoche. Yep. Is he deserving of a call-up to the German national team? Or do you think that there are others better suited, perhaps younger or, you know, at other clubs? But is, is Hansi Flick right to perhaps give Robin Knoche a chance? He was the guest on ZDF Saturday night program recently, Robin Knoche, and he came across really well, very humble guy, down to earth sort of guy, you know, played most of his career uh, at Wolfsburg before he made the move to Union. He's from the Braunschweig area. He said he'd like to go back there. You know, he, he's not a, a jet setting world football star. He's, he's very much a sort of a, as I said, down to earth, normal person who happens to play football. Um, <laughs> I do think that maybe it's it's come up, you know, this run of form, and he's been in great form for Union. I think it's maybe come a little bit late in his career. And as you mm. said, at that age, is that who you want to be building the squad around? I mean, he's reliable. He's somebody who would do a job. You can imagine him getting called in if all of a sudden two or three players got injured. Sure. But I, I think the, you know, Nico Schlotterbeck is obviously the the future for the, the German national team. He's somebody Hansi Flick will want to, to build around and has been building around. So I wouldn't expect he'd be called in at the, the first time of asking off the bat, but possibly if suddenly there were, were call-offs and he would be next in line. Excellent. And to end our podcast on a very happy note, we have a game with five goals that don't really lead to much because these are two teams in the Niemandsland, nowhere land of the <laughs> Bundesliga table. Werder Bremen lost 2-3 against Leverkusen at home and looking forward again towards the soon-to-come international break. Two players here worth mentioning. Niklas Füllkrug scored a goal and uh, helped set up one. And uh, Florian Wirtz was not in the squad, which according to coach Alonso was because he was rested. Florian Wirtz, wow, it's been a while mm. since we've seen him in a white and black Germany jersey. He came back swinging <laughs> yeah. from his injury. You're so close to the game. You know, you've probably seen him live in the stadium. Anything. I mean, I feel like he's still flying under the radar. He wasn't in contention for some individual awards for best young players. Unlike Musiala and Bellingham, anything you want to tell our listeners about this playmaker at Bayer Leverkusen? The only thing I would want to say is that I, I, I think that, yeah, he, he probably gets forgotten about because of the injury, because he was out for so long, obviously missed mm -hmm. the World Cup. And because Germany are quite well off in those positions and in Musiala, you do have, you know, one of the foremost players in the world. But Wirtz is in that conversation as well. And I think as people see more of him in other parts of the world, that they will realize that. And they've been quite sensible with him, I think, at Leverkusen. I think that they've not tried to rush him. There have been games where he hasn't played or he's come on as a substitute. And uh, as you said, in this one, you know, not featuring for Leverkusen, they got the victory without him. I'm looking forward to seeing him in person when I'm at the Germany-Belgium game in Köln in a couple of weeks. And that would be the ideal one for him, you would think, because, you know, he's from that area. His family will all be there. Uh, it just makes sense. It just it just would seem to be a, a perfect fit. So, yeah, you know, keep your eyes on him. But, you know, well done, Leverkusen, winning the game. Uh, maybe slightly flattering, probably should have finished in a draw. But it was an entertaining second half. And we have to praise Jeremy Frimpong, who once again is just playing out of this world football as he has done for much of the season and you know, provided the, the cross for the goal that made it 1-1, scored, was on target himself as well. Mitchell Backer had a really good goal and, and he needed it because he's been under pressure for bad timekeeping, mm. for being late and was absolutely pilloried in a kicker editorial the other day because of that. So it's coming together for Leverkusen and while it does look like it's no man's land, Let's not forget that if things happen a certain way, seventh place could be in Europe, you know, with the, the Pokal. So there is that target, I think, for a club like Leverkusen to be in European football, even though that seemed unlikely not so long ago. Very good point. Very good point. Derek, thank you so much again for coming on. Perhaps to end this podcast, 
Are there any Bundesliga players, German or non-German, who you think our international listeners should tune in for, who've been surprisingly good of late, are uh, perhaps fun to watch and not yet in the media headlines? Ooh, that's an interesting <laughs> question. Well, I mentioned one of them there uh, earlier, Christopher Andvi Ajay, uh, who, mm -hmm. who I think is is a natural entertainer and you know somebody who you know whenever I watch him, I always think he's going to do something fun and interesting and uh, exciting. And yeah, so he is definitely one. Christopher Andvi Ajay, I would mention. Jay Sung Lee is another one. You know who I think. People may know quite well, but but having a, a really excellent season, you know, if you yeah. if you analyze it. Mm -hmm. And the other one who who I really enjoy watching is Jesper Lindström of Frankfurt, you know, because yeah. he just has that sort of desire to take on his opponent all the time. Got great pace, got finishing ability as well. So again, these are players who I'm sure listeners to the the podcast are familiar with, but just some of my random favorites. Excellent. I'm wowed, but not surprised how quickly you just pulled up three names from <laughs> <laughs> out of nowhere there, because I kind of threw you a curveball with that last question. No, but it's funny, if you if you ask me that question next week, I might come up with three different names, you know, so I think, <laughs> I think these things are often just, uh, you know, who you're thinking about at that particular time. Yeah. So perhaps our yeah. listeners, um, you know, set yourself a reminder and ask Derek that no. question next, <laughs> next week on Twitter. There you go. All right. Well, Derek, thank you so much for coming on the pod. It's always a highlight to hear you. And uh, you can follow Derek on Twitter. And uh, if you're in the US, of course, by watching ESPN. Thanks for having me. And listen, it's always great that this pod exists because I think it's very important for the Bundesliga watching community around the world to have a forum like this and more power to Matt, to yourself, to everyone who's part of the podcast. Oh, as they say in Germany, danke für die Blumen. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> the flowers. <laughs> for the compliment. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we look forward to hearing your voice again on the coming weekends. Thank you, Maddie. Talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.